0: Good evening. Welcome to Revelation Bible study chapter 20. We will be doing this chapter tonight. Um, Only got a few more to go and we'll be finished with Revelation. But before we get started, if you have a prayer request, you can put it out on Facebook and I will see it. We will pray for you. But before you put your prayer request, we will go ahead and say our prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch here this evening. Lord, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message and that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray, amen. As I said, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, Having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. This angel descends from heaven, and in his hands are two objects a key that opens up the bottomless pit, and we've read about that earlier in Revelation, and a chain. But this was no ordinary chain, it was forged in heaven, and it will be used to chain up Satan for a thousand years. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil. Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Angel captures Satan, and after wrapping him in the chain and securing it, he opens the bottomless pit, or the abyss, and Satan is thrown into the pit for a thousand years. For a thousand years, Christ will be on this earth, in his throne, or on his throne, ruling the earth. Satan will not be able to bother us. For a thousand years, and this is literally a thousand years. Oftentimes, when when we go into the scriptures and we see a thousand, we think, well, it's just a period of time. But this time, it actually does mean one thousand years. So he's going to be chained up in this pit for a thousand years, and nothing to bother us. Christ will be in charge. But at the end of that thousand years, he's released. And we'll see what happens here in just a little bit. But it amaz- this chapter is probably the one that amazes me the most out of all of the book of Revelation. This chapter is probably the one that makes me scratch my head and go, why? Not why what God is doing, but why does what man does and how does man do it? Verse 3 And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So for a thousand years, he's going to be chained up. He's not going to be able to deceive us. He's not going to be able to do his, his evil on the earth. But after that thousand years, he's going to be let go for a little bit. And we'll see what happens when he's let go. Once a thousand years is up, he will be let go. And he will once again be allowed a little time to deceive the people of the earth. Some will say that this event, the thousand years, is not real, or that it is symbolic of other things. This thousand-year reign of Christ after the war is very much real. This is not a symbolic place in the scriptures. This is an actual time. And in the thousand-year Christ reigns on earth and Satan is chained in the bottomless pit. But this is not Satan's final judgment. He will be punished forever as we will soon see in the lake of fire, not hell but in the lake of fire, Satan has never been in hell. Satan will never be in hell. Now that blows a lot of people's mind when you say that. Well, he he's down there and he's taken captive. No, he is not in hell. He's a walking on this earth or he's in heaven trying to accuse or not trying, but he's accusing us, the Christians. He's either on this earth seeking whom he may devour or he's in heaven. He's never been in hell and he never will be. Verse 4, and I saw thrones, plural there, and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. John did not see one throne. He saw many thrones. Of course, Christ has a throne, but those martyred for their belief in Christ was and persecuted for this belief will also have thrones. They will reign a thousand years with Christ. But what are they ruling and reigning over? They're reigning and ruling over the earth and the people that is still here on the earth. That's what Christ and the other rulers are ruling over. So, you know, the rapture of the t- church takes place and the Christians leave. And whether you believe us at the first of tribulation, middle of tribulation, at the end of tribulation, we are at the end. We have finished tribulation. We are in the after effects of tribulation. So if the rapture of the church takes place at the end of tribulation, it has happened before this time. Before chapter 20. Now some will tell you. That the rapture of the church won't take place. Until the thousand years. Well that's kind of ludicrous. But we won't go there. So there's going to be people. Actual human beings. On earth. During this time. In this thousand years. And they will be giving. And being married. They will be having babies. They will be. All of these things. Will be taking place during this thousand-year millennial reign. Now, what was cast into the lake of fire uh, last chapter? Do you remember? The beast was taken, false prophet was taken, they were both cast into the fire. So the Antichrist is no longer here. That's the reason why I say tribulation is over. The false prophet is no longer here. Antichrist is gone. The false prophet is over. Satan's bound and, and put in chains for a thousand years. No one to deceive the people. And there's going to be rulers. But verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. What Think about what that verse says on on the surface. Think about what that verse says. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Who are the dead? And if the rapture of the church has taken place, wouldn't that have been a resurrection? And we know that Christ was resurrected. 2,000, 6,000, million I don't know how long ago, most people say around 2,000 years. This is an often overlooked verse. The rest of the dead lived not until the 1,000 years were finished. The thrones were filled with those that had been killed for, the Christ, for Christ. But the rest of the dead, those that died of natural causes and other factors, has not been resurrected yet. They will continue in the graves until the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And this is considered the first resurrection. But note the Bible specifically calls this the first resurrection. So there are more resurrections. But we know that Christ was resurrected. And at his resurrection, the patriarchs were seen in the streets of Jerusalem. Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53, not 52 and 23, my apologies. For those of you that's got the study guide. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And of course there's Lazarus whom Christ raised from the dead and the widow's son and plenty of others. So how can this be the first resurrection? Look at who's being resurrected. Those that have died and went to their graves not by man's hands. Not martyred. They are the ones that died of an old age, died of car wrecks. The first resurrection. The, Christ sees the ones that are resurrected for martyrs. They're they're immediately taken and put on their thrones, if you will. They're they're giving their robes of white, as we learned really early. And they happen as they are being killed. This is the first mass resurrection. The graves are opening up. But if this is the first resurrection, what's coming next? We'll see that in just a second. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. But wait. Hold it. Hold it. It says that they wouldn't be raised again until the end of the thousand years. Now it's saying that they're going to reign with him for a thousand years. What? John was confused, right? No, John was not confused. We read this in our vernacular, in our ways of looking at the world. We read this with modern day eyes. Let's go back and look at what he was trying to tell us. In the first century, those that are in the first resurrection will live forever and will be priests of God in Christ. These are the Christians that died of natural causes or for other reasons. They will also be priests for a thousand years. This will be after the thousand year millennial reign because in verse five, this resurrection will be after the millennial reign. The first of the resurrection simply means that those that are Christians not already rose from the dead will be raised now and the non-Christians will have to wait for a little longer and that they will have their time. These Christians that are raised and, and resurrected now will have their opportunity to be rulers and leaders for a period of time. Now that's after The millennial reign of Christ. So we know that something's going to happen, but we know that Christ is going to continue on. These guys will get to be, they're not the martyrs, they're the ones that, as I said, they've died of natural causes, but they still get to rule and reign. And they have a term limit, if you will, looking at it in today's world. They will have a term limit. They'll reign for a thousand years and they'll sit down. Someone else will get to reign and rule. That's the way I'm reading it. Now, if somebody has read it differently than me, by all means, let me know. But that's the way I read it. And that's the way that when I was studying this verse, it came to me, is that we will, if you will, we'll share in the in the ruling and the reigning. If if my parents, they died in uh, 2015 they'll actually get to be rulers in this period, in this time period. The ones that are sitting on the throne with Christ are the ones that are martyred in the tribulation period. And let's back up just a thought. And they were beheaded for the witness of Christ and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead. That's the middle of the tribulation. That's the tribulation period. So the first rulers and reigns will be the martyrs that died in tribulation. These that we're talking about now are the ones that are already passed away and in the grave now. My parents, if you will, they will get to partake. If I go by the way of the grave, I'll get to partake with this. Does that make sense to everyone? As I said, 20 is probably my most uh, favorite chapter because it gets, it gets a little, uh, it gets confusing if you just read it and don't think about what you're reading, if you just gloss over it. Now, verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, this is the thousand year millennial reign, Satan will be loosed out of his presence. He'll be released from the abyss. He'll be released from his chains. The door will be open. He'll climb out. This is what surprises me. Mankind, after being with Christ for a thousand years, Satan will go out, verse 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations, which in the four corners of the earth... Gog and Magog, gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. The nations will still be deceivable. Man will still be stupid. Or as I like to say it, stupid. Now there's a difference between being stupid and being stupid. Stupid is when you're really Stupid people will still be deceived. They've had it for a thousand years. Christ has been sitting on the throne and everything that they've ever needed has happened. And yet he gathers again his army, Satan does. But this time he's going to lead the army. The first battle or the battle previous, the battle to end all battles. And wait, this this is another war. Wait, what? Wait, what happens? Because this wasn't really a war. This wasn't really a battle. Satan believes it's going to be. But the one previous, the Battle of Armageddon, the war to end all wars, was led by the Antichrist. Satan thinks he can do better. Of course, the Antichrist is no longer with us. He's in the Lake of Fire. He's been there for all this time. He feels he can do better, so he gathers the army together and he leads them to destroy Christ and his followers. So we got an army coming up against Jerusalem again. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. They are under a siege attack again. I don't believe Jesus is sitting on his throne though, rubbing his hair hand through his hair, going, "Oh, I didn't see this one coming." And the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. They get in position, but they don't get to fight. A fire comes down from heaven and destroys every one of them. They've surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They are as numerous as the sands of the sea, but they can't do nothing. They are cut off. They are destroyed. The army of Satan surrounds Jerusalem, but before anything happened, a supernaturally God-given fire comes from heaven, destroys the enemy and the army of Satan. No one has to fight this battle because God destroys them with fire. That's why I say that this was not a battle. This was a wannabe. The battle was recently, and we saw what happened. The birds fed on the dead people. They got fat. They got so fat they couldn't they couldn't fly. They just kind of walked around, waddled, kinda like me nowadays, kinda waddling. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now this is the final judgment for Satan. It's been in phases. This is it. This is the final one. He's cast into the lake of fire. He's never been in hell. He will never be in hell. But he is in the lake of fire. And brimstone. Brimstone truly means rock that burns. Most people say it is sulfur. That is how it is translated into English. It smells horrible. It smells like rotten eggs. So it is. he is cast into this fire and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how hot this fire would be. It's not. It's not the intensity of the sun, but it is hot enough. It's several hundred degrees for sulfur to burn. I think it's like 380 something degrees, 385 degrees for sulfur to burn. So it's at least that temperature. So he's cast into this burning lake of fire. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. He never gets out again. Satan is now cast into the lake of fire. The antichrist and the false prophet are already in the lake of fire. They will be there for the rest of time. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. God's throne will now come down and God will be on it to judge the ones dead and resurrected. He will look for the names in the book of life. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, plural, according to their works. Your name has got to be in the Lamb's book of life. Or here in this verse, it's called the book of life. Not just, not the Lamb's book of life, but it is called the book of life. Your name has to be there. Now, what's the other book? It says that there's two books, and the books were open, and another book was open. What are the books? John is now witness to the most talked about future event, the judging of people. God will look through the book of life and the book of our deeds, and according to whether our name was written in the book of life was whether we got to go to heaven or the lake of fire. The book of life will tell him where we get to reside, whether we're residing in heaven or we're going to reside in the lake of fire. The other books carries our rewards. If our name is not in the book of life, he does not have to look in the other book. But if our name is in the book of life, wait, wait, the scripture says not, not the works lest any man should boast. That is correct and it's not it is not by works that we have this we can't have any of this it's the works of Christ but because we are Christians are we Christ like are we taking care of our neighbors are we taking care of our family are we taking care of those that are less fortunate are we just nice people basically if we are, then our rewards are written down in this book, and we get them when we get to heaven. We should not be being nice people for the rewards. We should be nice people because we're Christians. And because we're Christian and we are nice people, they'll read out of this and they'll tell us how big our crown's going to be. How many stars will I, will I wear? There's a song, and I forget who sings it, but will there be stars in my crown? I tell my wife all the time, nope, don't think so, not mine. Mine's just going to be tenfold. But that's a little joke between us, but this is where our rewards comes to play. Our rewards are given to us here. If you want to look at it, well, do we get to live on Main Street heaven, or do we get to move back a couple of blocks? Still in heaven... Still in the mansion that he went to prepare for us. But where is the location? Are we close to the throne? Or are we a little further away? That's a man's, that's a physical, that's a human way of looking at it. And the rewards are, are our spiritual rewards. So don't get called up on, oh my gosh, there's, there's a misprint here. There's two books. Well, there's more than just two books. But our name being in the Lamb's book of life. And then what are our rewards when we get to heaven? Verse 13. And C gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now this is after the first resurrection. Now we're seeing the people coming out of the ocean that has water burial naval people and we're seeing those that are already in hell they are being brought out this is god's judgment throne this is the one we don't want to stand in front of the sea gave up the dead which were in it death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works of the see they're judged every man according to their works these are not the christians these are the ones that are already dead and did not have christ those individuals in the sea and those in the graves are now standing before god and being judged death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death death and the inhabitants of hell are now cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first was when the body died. Second is the eternal separation of God from those that are, from those in the lake of fire. See, we all like to think that you know hell is going to be a horrible place, and it is. It's very real. It's going to be where the fire is never quenched and the worm dies not. But really, the whole thing is even down here on this earth when we're going through it, when we're having all kinds of bad days or whatever, we have the comfort and the hope that there is a Christ out there who loves us and cares for us and takes care of us, carries us, makes us well, do all of that. In hell, we know that he's not going to hear us. We are cut off completely from God. We can cry and we can moan and we can get on our knees and we can beg and we can plead, but he's not going to hear us. Oh, well, then that means that God's such a horrible God. No, we did this to ourselves. The individuals that are standing there or being cast into the lake of fire, they did this to themselves because they have heard and they know. And because they hear and they know, but they don't do anything about it, they're thrown out. I used the the analogy the other day when the king had the wedding. And nobody wanted to come, so he went out and he found people on the street. He told his servants, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And the king comes out when he hears that the hall, the great hall, is full of wedding guests. Oh, well, we can have the wedding now. We can get my prince married to his princess. And he comes out and he looks, he surveys the scene, and there is one individual in that whole crowd that is not wearing the wedding garment. And the king goes up to him, and I'm using my own words, but the king goes up to him and says, uh, Dude, why ain't you, you in your white robe? Well, I didn't feel like putting it on. Well, you can get out of the king's hall. You're not welcome. Well, that's a horrible thing. Well, the king provided him the wedding garment. All he had to do was go to the bathroom, wash his hands, wash his face, wash his feet, put the wedding garment on, and walk out, and he would be eaten of the king's table. But he was too lazy to even do that. He didn't want to go to the bathroom. He didn't want to go wash his hands. He didn't want to go wash his feet. He didn't want to go do any of that. He certainly didn't want to put on the king's garment. He probably had the king's garment there laying in his lap. So the king wasn't wrong in what he'd done. He provided the opportunities and he provided the garment for that individual to wear so he could be in the wedding. Christ provided us the wedding garment on the cross of Calvary. We have got to accept it. We have got to put it on. If we don't put it on, we don't make it to heaven. It is the sin of disobedience that sends people to the to hell and then removes them from hell and puts them into the lake of fire. It is not God's fault. So don't get mad at God when this happens. He's been very just, he's been very right, and he's been very fair. As a matter of fact, he's been more than fair. I heard a song the other day that said, I'm glad that grace is not fair. And I thought, well, now this is going to be an interesting song. I'm going to listen to it. Because of the things that I have done, but yet grace comes to me, grace isn't fair. And I am the benefit of that unfair grace. And I'm not saying that the grace is unfair, but I shouldn't be the benefit of it because of what I have done in my past. So grace is unfair because it's equal to every one of us. Verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The inhabitants of hell are now thrown into the lake of fire. They've been brought out of hell where the fire is quenched not and the worm dies. They are told that they're going to go to the lake of fire and then they go to the lake of fire. Whosoever's name or whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name is not found in the book of life, you will be in the lake of fire for all of the rest of eternity. And you did it to yourself. If you hold a revolver up to your head and you put six bullets in it, one, you're stupid for putting a gun to your head, but if you put six bullets in that revolver and you pull the trigger, guess what's going to happen? Unless the gun misfires, you're going to kill yourself. Whose fault is that? It's not Remington, it's not Cold, it's not Beretta, it's not any of the manufacturer of the weapons. It is your stupidity for putting the gun up to your head with a loaded chamber or a loaded clip or a loaded whatever. If you find yourself looking up into the lake of fire while you're standing in it, it's not God's fault. It's yours because of the sin of disobedience is why you're there. Your name is not found in the book of life. So I'm here to explain to you that it is really, really simple to get your name in the Lamb's book of life. All you have to do is say, Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Or don't even say those words. Just tell him you're sorry. The thief on the cross said, remember me this day. Christ said, this day you will be with me in paradise. We talk about the sinner's prayer, but there is no such scripture in the Bible. It's not even in the Apocrypha. There is no such thing as a sinner's prayer. If it's words coming out of your heart, and it's heartfelt, and you're asking God to forgive you, it does not matter what you say as long as you say it. He said to confess your faults, your sins. Confess them to him. He already knows them. But however many of us were uh, parents and we had little children or maybe we're grandparents and we have little children. and, And we stand there and we watch those little children and we see them do things that they shouldn't do. And then we ask them, well, did you do it? No, no, I didn't do it. You stood there and you watched them. Guess what? God is standing there. He's watching us. So he knows what we've done. He wants us to come to him and say, sorry. And that's how you get your names in the Lamb's book of life. There are no scriptures you have to memorize. Now, I do find it odd that Christians will say or so-called Christians will say, well, I don't believe all of the Bible. Sorry, you're not a real Christian. Or, I don't have to go to church. Well, no, you don't have to go to church. You're right. You should want to go to church. And you should make every effort to go to church. Because even Christ went to the synagogue. And we're supposed to be Christ-like. We should go to the synagogue. We should go to our churches. So I'm here to tell you, if you're not a Christian, if you've not gotten the Lamb's, uh, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, today is the day. Whether it's right now and you're listening to this live or it's in the future. Maybe it's 10 years in the future or maybe it's tomorrow or maybe it's 100 years. I don't know how long we're going to be left on this earth. I hope it's not much longer because the world's already getting crazy. I can only imagine how much more crazy it can be. Somebody came to me the other day and told me that 2023 couldn't be as bad as 2022. And I thought, dear heavens, yes, it can and it can be a lot worse. So what we're here to do tonight is just to say, if you do not have Christ in your heart, if you've not accepted what Christ has done for you on the cross of Calvary, it is real simple. All you have to do is look to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, as only you can, on each and every one that's listening, each and every one that will listen, Lord. We ask that you'll bless, Lord, that you'll move and that you will draw with your spirit them to you, Lord. Not because of what I've said, Lord, but with what you have done. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch on those that hear this, Lord for the first time or hearing about Jesus, or maybe it's the umpteenth time they've heard about you. Lord, we ask that you'll use your spirit to draw, to knock on the door. And Lord, let them invite you in so that you can clean the house. And Lord, that you can sit down and sup with us. Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. We will be here next week. Revelation chapter 21 more weeks and we are done with this if nothing else happens we'll see you then